If I could, I'd just like to take a second and pray over, uh, pray over those pledge cards. God, we thank you for all the good things that you're doing and that you're going to continue to do in this new year. God, we thank you for those who have searched their heart and searched their bank accounts and their finances and decided to give to this institution, to this place, to this body um, of Anderson Hills. And God, just bless the gifts that have been given. Again, may they be used to your glory and your honor because you're worthy of all praise. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, as we've already said this morning, it's Advent. So I have a reading this morning, okay? And you may have heard it before, and it goes like this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Hmm. Morning, church. My name is Matt Howe, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and again, uh, we are in week one of Advent. The Advent season is upon us, right? And so during this month of December, we, the Church of Jesus Christ, are going to celebrate together the arrival of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And we were able to kick off the Advent season yesterday. How many of you were able to make it out for the uh, family Christmas adventure yesterday? Anybody? Anybody? Got a few hands going up around the room. All right, it's a great time yesterday, and we're going to kind of continue in that spirit of celebration this morning. But as we were worshiping, this is kind of an aside to, uh, to my message and where I'm going today, but as we were worshiping, first song right off the bat, I don't know why, but I sort of felt this tug, uh, and, you know, I always trust those tugs to be the Holy Spirit because, um, you know, Suli wasn't standing close enough to be tugging me, so it had to be something else. Uh, but I felt this tug that maybe there's like a spirit of kind of bitterness and, and resentment and that someone's holding on to something this morning. And I just want to tell you, man, Christmas, it's going to be rough, right, if that's, if that's the spirit. And so I just want to pray for a spirit of forgiveness this morning. If I can do that, just aside. And again, this may not pertain to you, but it may to the person sitting next to you. So let's just pray together, okay? Um, God, we just pray for any spirit of, of bitterness or anything, um, resentment, anything that's being held on to this morning um, that may be blocking a, a child of yours from really experiencing experiencing you um, in fullness and in completeness. And so, God, um, just help us to let go of those things that have been done to us, past, present. Um, God, help us to, uh, to give those things to you, to offer up our own forgiveness, just as you offer up so freely your forgiveness to us. And, God, sometimes we make it sound like it's easier than it is to, to really do. But yet, God, I just pray today that someone would find it within their heart um, to just let go of something um, so that, God, they can really live into the fullness of this season of hope and peace and joy. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right? Now we can move on. Um, so anyway, we're kicking off this Advent series and the title. And, and by the way, I love the stage behind me, right? I mean, we have, yeah, isn't that great? You can clap for that. And I will say, I think it was, um, I think it was Wednesday uh, that I got, um, 
in my, I was in the office and somebody, I, Eric and, and Rob Trainer and a couple, Harlan, a couple of people came in and they were like, we blew the electric system at the C building, right? And, oh, by the way, shh, don't let that, no, I'm just kidding. They didn't do it. Um, we found out it was actually the, the, the electric company was out on the road and they had shut the power off, but they thought they had done it because they were out there sawing boards and all that stuff and making all this stuff. And um, I know we had, I think Brian did the, um, the neons and they just, it just looks great. So thank you volunteers. Um, you know, we paid people. We kind of got to be here, right? But, but we have so many wonderful volunteers volunteers with such creative minds, and this, this looks beautiful, and so thank you uh, for that, for sure. So we, we kick off this Advent series, and it's called No Room, right? It's called No Room because Dr. Luke tells us that when a very, very pregnant Mary and her betrothed uh, to be husband Joseph showed up in Bethlehem, David's town, and knocked rat-a-tat-tat on a little door of a hotel room, our hotel uh, office, they were told there is no room, right? for them. And so we all kind of know the story. They were redirected to a lowly stable, and that is where the King of Kings and the Savior of the world was born. After giving birth, the Bible tells us that Mary placed baby Jesus in a manger. And so like you, I've heard this story hundreds of times. But if I'm being honest to you, when I often listen to the words of this story, when I often hear this scripture read, I kind of conjure up in my head a much nicer and neater sort of picture of the situation than probably what it actually was, right? I mean, our minds kind of go to those neat little nativity scenes that we have in our house. You know, they go to images that we've seen across the years in the church and outside the church. I picture kind clean animals with really soft eyes, right? <laughs> Nestled next to the baby Jesus, you know, as though they had just showed up or came from the cleaners, you know, or whatever. Um, I picture, you know, fluffy yellow hay, right, in the manger. I mean, has anybody ever actually seen fluffy yellow hay? It doesn't really exist, right? I mean, all you gotta do is go on a hayride, and afterwards you're like scratching yourself, right? It's not, there's nothing fluffy about it. I picture Mary and Joseph in their clean, neatly pressed, right, robes, kneeling down next to the Christ child. I mean, hello, reality check. I'm pretty certain that's not what the birth of Christ looked like. It probably looked nothing like this image that I've sort of conjured up in my head over the years. Jesus' birth was really um, no different than ours, right? I mean, there was pain involved. I mean, it was just like ours, right? I mean, you know, except for the fact that there was no doctor, no midwife, no nurses, <laughs> no sterile anything, right? No epidurals, no blood pressure monitors for sure. No family and friends in the next room just counting down the minutes till they can rush into the delivery room and see the new baby. Nobody standing by as the paparazzi ready to snap photos and put it on Instagram. Look, my little niece was finally born, you know? Okay, so really... Jesus' birth, nothing like ours. And it's, very, it's a very humbling picture of a very humble birth for the Son of God and the Savior of the world, the King of kings. So physical space was hard to come by, right? There was no room in the end. But as we will see as we walk through these next few weeks in this series, the problem wasn't limited to just physical space, Right? Spiritually speaking, the people had no room in their hearts and minds for who Jesus was proclaiming to be. People had 
had trouble wrapping their, their minds around the fact that the Messiah was the son of a carpenter? Really? A carpenter? People had trouble wrapping their minds around the fact that the Messiah was an ordinary man from an ordinary town. Some, in fact, accused Jesus of being a blasphemer for claiming that he was God's son. Others felt they had no need for a spiritual savior. Many more refused Jesus as their king because he didn't come in the manner that they really expected him to come. Well, unfortunately, the same is true today. Even in a season that, that bears his name, many fail to give Jesus the honor and the respect that he deserves. Some deny his divinity. Others deny his humanity. Some deny his royalty, and others deny his relevance. There's a need to make room in our lives today for all that Jesus claimed and all that Jesus claims to be. So the first struggle that we will address is the struggle to understand that Jesus was in fact God, but he was also born a human. Jesus' birth experience may have been nothing like ours, but Jesus himself was like us. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of the deity in bodily form. Jesus did not give up his deity to become human. And he did not sacrifice some of his humanity in order to retain his deity. So we go to the Gospel of John. And we go to the first chapter. We've already had a part of this read for us this morning, but I want to read it again. I want to start in John chapter 1, the first two verses, where the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then skip ahead to verse 14, where the Scriptures say, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here's the deal, guys. Here's what the church is telling us, or here's what John is telling us. He's telling us that Jesus, otherwise known as the Word, is both fully divine, fully God, and fully human, fully man. On that first Noel, the first Christmas, Jesus came humbly into the world, a world that desperately needed him. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born to a woman named Mary and to a man named Joseph. As we read earlier, he was born in a stable outside of an inn in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary, they were in Bethlehem for a census that was being taken, but their hometown wasn't Bethlehem. Their hometown was a place called Nazareth. And in those days, Nazareth nah, didn't exactly have the best reputation. I mean, there was a lot of immorality at the time in Nazareth. Nazareth was a city that, that lacked much religious fervor, right? More than anything, Nazareth was just kind of a small, insignificant, relatively unknown place. And it loomed in the shadows of, of bigger cities nearby. 
Listen to what Nathanael had to say about Nazareth. This is John chapter 1, a few verses later. This is verses 45 and 46. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael's response was this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Philip said, come and see. Nathanael asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? Obviously, Nathanael had his doubts. Could the Son of Man and the Son of God really come from a place like Nazareth? Well, he most certainly could. And not only was Jesus from Nazareth, the Bible tells us that he spent the first 30 years of his life there. He lived among the people. He taught in the synagogue. And maybe the question is in your mind, well, why would it matter? Why would it matter where Jesus came from? Why would anybody really care? Well, because Jesus came from such a humble background, he would have lacked the religious formal education that so many of the Pharisees had, right? And this made it difficult for such proud men to acknowledge Jesus, a, a village carpenter, as a person of authority, let alone the Messiah. How could this man be the Messiah? The Pharisees and teachers of the law, as we know, as we read throughout the Gospels, confronted Jesus time and time and time again, questioning his teachings, questioning his actions. I mean, basically looking for any kind of tripping thing, like any kind of uh, tripping stone, or well, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. You know what I mean? Like stumbling block, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. <laughs> and so ultimately... The religious leaders, they're so threatened at the possibility of losing their power and losing their position that they conspire to kill Jesus. It certainly wasn't a warm welcome for Jesus. So then why was it necessary that the word become flesh in the first place? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians. This is Galatians chapter 4. He says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. You see, the word became flesh and dwelt among us for us. Jesus had to be fully human in order to become our substitute, to take the punishment that we deserved for our failure to live a perfect and righteous life. The scriptures say that while the wage of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus had to have a body in order to pay that penalty for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there would have been no removal of sin. This concept can be tied all the way back to the Old Testament, sacrifice where they would take animals and place them on an altar and sacrifice them in order to atone for the sins of all people. Well, Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, had to be human because there had to be a shedding of blood. Christians don't talk about sacrificing animals for sin, praise God, because Jesus paid the ultimate price once and for all. Ultimately, that blood of Christ is the price that was paid for our freedom. We're going to celebrate that this morning as we take communion, the body and the blood of Christ. 
God is under no false assumptions that we are perfect. He could have just destroyed us. But you know what? Instead, he chose to give us the gift of redemption. He could have washed his hands of all humanity, but he loved us and his son paid the price for us. And that's why we sing that there is power in the blood. We are cleaned, cleansed, and purified by Christ's death. So when we talk about the blood of Christ, we're talking about one of the most powerful acts proving God's love for all mankind. That's what Bethlehem was about. That's why Jesus was born a man. The humanity of Christ for us means redemption. The humanity of Christ for us means reconciliation. It means restoration. And as if this wasn't enough, the humanity of Christ for us also means healing. It also means hope. Additionally, because Jesus was subjected to all the same kinds of trials that we are, he is able to sympathize with us and to aid us in our own trials, in our own moments of weakness. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What the writer of Hebrews tells us is that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are. Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are. As such, he can sympathize with our weakness as humans. When he stooped to our level by becoming a man, he made it possible for us to relate to him and for God to relate to us through him. That's the beauty of of Bethlehem. Again, Jesus was fully human. So think about that for a second. I was, I was writing this message. I was really starting to think about that because I say it. It's in my vocabulary, but I'm not sure that I very often really think about it. But think about it. Jesus was loved. Jesus was nurtured. Jesus was coddled, and he was nursed. Jesus was held, Jesus was hugged, and Jesus was kissed. Jesus was befriended. Jesus played with children in his neighborhood. Jesus had scraped knees and bruised elbows. Jesus sat at his mother's feet watching her brush her hair. Jesus sat at his father's feet watching him craft a chair. Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, was waited on, waited for, waited with. Jesus waited on, waited for, and waited with others. Jesus was fully human. Jesus was tried, and he was tempted. Jesus was poor and he was persecuted. Jesus was despised and dejected. Jesus was ridiculed and rejected. Jesus suffered physical pain. And Jesus, as a 33-year-old man, endured the sorrows of a lingering and most cruel death. He experienced these things as a human being like only a human being could. He felt joy. He felt sorrow. He felt all the same things that we feel. He understood. And guess what? He understands. That's the beauty of Jesus. Yes, fully, fully human, fully human. And the challenge that I want to give to you this morning is a challenge to embrace the humanity of Christ. I mean, what better time would there be than Christmas? 
The next time you begin questioning your ability, the next time you begin questioning whether or not you're strong enough to get through a certain situation, the next time you feel alone, the next time you feel anxious, the next time you feel inadequate, remember who you are. Remember who Jesus is. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. This is the message transliteration. It says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time come, he sat aside the privileges of deity, took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. You see, Jesus understands, Jesus can relate, and Jesus is here for you. And he's here for me. And that's the God we serve this Christmas. It's not necessarily some nicely wrapped, neat, clean, fluffy-haid baby Jesus in a manger, right? It's humanity at its best and at its lowest. And that's who God is, and that's what God can do for us. And he did do that for us, and he did it through communion. God, we thank you for, God, this gift of, of holy communion and the reminder that it serves to us of your humanity That, God, the bread represents your body broken for us. The, the, the wine, the juice, God, it represents for us your blood spilled out for us for the remission, the forgiveness of sins. God, thank you for the reminder this Advent that you are fully God and fully human. God, that you understood and that you understand. Walk with us through this season, into this new year, and throughout our lives. And help us to remember that when we are at our weakest and our lowest moments in life, that you are there, reminding us of who we are and who you are, and that our identity comes through you. It's in the blessed name of Jesus I pray.